Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. You know, before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the rise of outlaw country music and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision in her tiny living room far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Hey, it's Amy Brown here to talk about St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. For 60 years, St. Jude doctors and researchers have helped push the overall childhood cancer survivor rate from 20% to more than 80%. But we need your help getting that number to 100%. And most important, your support means that families will never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food. Now, that peace of mind means so much. So join me in helping St. Jude in the fight against childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope and text Bobby to 785-833. That's B-O-B-B-Y to 785-833. On my way out, essentially, I had one publishing company reach out to me. I was so scared to tell them I was moving to Texas. A whole year, every Monday, I would fly in. And every Wednesday, I would fly out. And they would call me and I'd be like freaking out. I'd be like, oh, God. If I answer this and they ask me where I'm at and if I can come in, I'm done. Episode 398 with Corey Kent. The song went number one this week. It's Wild As Her. Here's a clip of that. Keep the windows down and the Album comes out on a second. So I had, I had met Corey Kent before. And I came in, but a lot of my Oklahoma family, like in-laws, know him. As you hear, my wife's sister went to college with him. He... His wife took photos at her wedding. It's a whole thing because my wife saw on the calendar. She was like, Corey Kent's coming over to the house. How's he doing? I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, is he doing good? What do you mean? She says, well, he left like, to go to Nashville a long time ago. And, you know, I was like, wait, huh? I was just so confused by it all. And she was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I said, yeah, he's got the number one song. She's like, wow, wow, good for him. She thought he was just coming to hang out. <laughs> I don't know what she thought, but because she – you know, try to find me sometimes because I'm not always just gone out of town, but just doing stuff. I'm like, please keep my calendar just so you can see where I am if you need to find me because it's all over the place. And yeah, she was like, Corey Kent's coming. Huh? Are you friends? Do you, how do you know? And I was like, no, 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 no. Like he's making it now. So that was a whole weird situation, positive situation. But we talk about that a little bit in this. He is from Bixby, Oklahoma. You know, the, the wild part of the story was he was just a kid, like 11 years old, and he starts in an old Western swing band. He talks about that. And he's just really one of those guys who, listen, he, try, he tried the Nashville approach, and that one that way didn't really work so much. So then he moved back to Texas and just started grinding and touring. And that kind of worked for him, mixed in with a little bit of going viral, but not really him, just like a clip of that song. A pretty interesting story. 
So Corey Kent is his name. I mean, he's been a hustler. He did over 100 shows in a year. He made, just made his Opry debut, and he's going out with Jason Aldean next on his Highway Desperado tour. And I thought he was pretty open about he's going to make less money doing that yeah. than doing his own shows because he's selling his own shows and selling them out and selling a bunch of tickets. But he, it's an investment to go out on these big high-profile tours, and he's very grateful for it. But he's like, yeah, it's an investment season. So it's Corey Kent. What did you take away from this interview, Mike? I think when it comes to new artists, sometimes you wonder how they're going to be when they come in. Really nice guy. And he also knows that like he's having a moment right now. He's going to take that in, mm-hmm. but keep working, keep grinding. Yeah, it was really nice. I guess when I see the motorcycle and... Yeah, he looks really hardcore. Except with a baby face at the same time. Like every, But it's all legitimate. Yeah. Like he like worked on motorcycles like as a job for a little bit too, I think. He did the asphalt, did the motorcycles. So Corey Kent, I do believe that this guy is like legitimately who he portrays, which is cool. Doesn't even live in Nashville. I didn't yeah. find that out till later on. He's playing in Nashville, the Brooklyn Bowl. What six two? January, February, March, April, May, June. Oh, June second. Is that album day for him? Yeah. Oh, do you do fingers for months? No, oh. I can remember them. Nah, nah, not me. He's playing the Brooklyn Bowl in Nashville. On June 2nd, on June 8th, he's playing the Chevy Riverfront stage at CMA Fest, and his name is Corey Kent. There's a story inside of this I don't even want to tease, but it's one of the best stories I think that's ever been told on the Bobbycast. Great. I don't have to tell you what it is, right? You know what it is? I know exactly It's one of the best stories that's ever been told, and one of the most holy crap stories that's ever been told on the history of the Bobbycast, and we're almost 400 episodes in. So take it in, follow him on Instagram, at Corey Kent, and TikTok, same. Let's go. Here he is, Corey Kent. Corey, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good, man. Thank you for having me. We, well, first of all, I have a lot of stories that involve you. Uh oh. Even as of yesterday, I was flying back. You can fix that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Wait. Yeah, no, we're good. We were flying back from Austin, and I was with Steve Hodges. And uh, you come up because my wife, which is another story. <laughs> and Steve's like, oh, you ever met Corey? I said, no, I never met Corey. And he's like, man, he's the greatest. And then I said, yeah, I've heard the opposite. But no, I haven't, <laughs> haven't. But he said that, I guess your, uh, your song just went number one the night before. Yeah, man. And that I don't, were you celebrating? Was he with, he wasn't with you, he was with me. No, he was, so my manager was at the iHeart thing. Okay. And uh, I think he went and uh Maybe they were celebrating then for you. Yes. They got were. it. They got some champagne and. You know, did the thing. Well, that's what he was talking about. He's like, we just celebrated for Corey. And I was like, he's not here. We celebrate his honor. And I was on I was on the road, which is where we are almost 100% of the time. But, yeah. Uh, I was celebrating from my red van rooster at, you know, 1 a.m. whenever it was official or midnight. You get to be in the fun part of your career now where you've worked so hard to even work freaking harder. Because when, <laughs> when you first get that success, no doubt, man. that's when it's, Time that you and I tell this to a lot of artists. I'm not going to say new artists, but a lot of artists who are experiencing commercial success for the first time, right? Because it gets really tired, really tired. We were just talking before you walked in. All of us here, like I'd, I spent five or six days on the road doing the radio show, doing ACMs, doing. I'm just exhausted, but I have to remind myself sometimes. Man, this, it's awesome. I get yeah. to be exhausted, no doubt. So no congratulations doubt. on being exhausted. Thank you, man. Well, and and honestly, it, it it's more exhausting when I get home. You know, we got three kids at the house, so. Like leaving the night our song went number one, uh, I got got back in the van and we drove from two a.m. to eight a.m. to get home for Mother's Day, 
and then just had a whole day of, you know, like when you get home and it's Mother's Day, it's like give mom a break day. Right. So I'm basically like hallucinating yeah. for 24 Who drove? Because the, the two to eight period is a, the ru- it, it's the worst time period it's to awful. have to do anything because it ruins yep. the whole rest of the day. Yep. So who drove the van? So me and uh, our TM Bo uh, were the only ones in the van. Oh, no. So it was us. You know, and you can't just let one guy go the 2 a.m. to 8 a.m. thing because if he gets if he starts dozing off, like, you're you're both goners. Someone's right? got to run watch. Someone's got to run drive. Got to have the co-pilot oh. slash DJ, you know. So it was both of us. Uh, we did pull over, like, you know, 3.45 and catch an hour because we just were seeing weird things on the side of the road. I you know? catch that hour. I feel worse. <laughs> I catch the hour and I'm like, oh God, I can't, I can't go on. Yeah. That's, so. well, congratulations though, man. That Thank is you. Number one song. Mike, could you have a little bit of it? Yeah. A little bit of Wild is there? I keep the windows down and the wind in hair. Keep your heart hanging all around every turn. So, I think your wife took pictures at my wife's sister's wedding? Yeah. She did, and um, so we went to Oklahoma State with Grace. With with Grace, yeah. yeah. And I don't know Grace, but for for the record, I think maybe you're really missing out because Grace is pretty awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. what my wife told me all about. Well, both of them. I mean, she she got back from this wedding and was like, "These people are so fun. Like, what an awesome family." And she was like, "Bobby Bones was there, and Grace's sister is married to Bobby, and." And I was like, oh, great. So you, you told him about me, right? She's like, <laughs> I she's like no. no. Nothing got slid. No CDs, nothing. That's funny. I was like, well, what are, what are we doing here? You have a golden opportunity to help. I mean, nothing. And That's she's funny. like, no, nah, I just, she's so funny like that. Like one time she ran into uh, Dennis Quaid in the airport, physically ran into him, made him drop all of his stuff. And she's like holding one of our babies. And she comes back to me. Like we split up to go through TSA come back together she's like i just ran into somebody i'm like who she's like i don't know but i sh- i should know him and i was like okay well do you know like what is he music actor like what is it she's definitely in movies like movies we watch all the time I'm like okay you have anything for me no nothing walks by and she's like that's him that's him and i was like dennis quaid <laughs> you don't know who dennis quaid is and then, you know, just, um, she just doesn't, not that she doesn't care. It just doesn't, I admire this about her. Like she just, everybody, every person is a person to her. Yeah. It's not, it's which not is a really priority cool. that he's a Dennis Quaid. No. And yeah. same thing. Like we were watching the Super Bowl one year and she's like, who's that guy? And the confetti's falling. I'm like, Tom Brady. She's like, oh yeah, he's married to Giselle. Right. I'm like, that's how you know who Tom Brady is. <laughs> you didn't know what he looked like. Nothing. Okay. How long have you been married? Uh, coming up on seven years. You look like you're about, I don't know, 21. Well, one of those young teenage Oklahoma weddings or what? I guess, man. We met, you know, we met at Oklahoma State and we met our freshman year, but we were just friends for a long time. And and then it just, over time, it was like everybody knew what we didn't know. They were like, so you guys are dating? We're like, no, 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 we're just friends. We were definitely more than friends, but it was just one of those things that took a little longer to develop. And then when uh, when it did develop, it happened really fast. So we like, Got engaged. 89 days later, we were married. And like a few months in, we were pregnant. So it was just like, all right, well, we're having kids. Might as well knock them out, you know? So we have three now. Might as well. Why not? Right? What else is there to do? What else? So uh, you don't do the whole somebody else boomer. 
Because this ha- everywhere no, I, I don't go. Do that. Oh my god, it's the worst. Everywhere I go, my wife, <laughs> she will see somebody or they will see her. And if there's any OU paraphernalia, boomer, sooner. It's like, oh my god, no. Like we have a chant that people think are annoying. Me being Razorback, but we kind of keep it into games for the most part or like events. I'm just at the movie. You can read the room. Yeah, what boomer. You're yeah, like, we're, we're literally watching Air, the movie in the theater, and they gotta <laughs> yell that they're wild, they're mating call to each other. <laughs> Where did you grow up in Oklahoma? Uh, Bixby, which is I've Tulsa. Been, I've been to Bixby. Why? I don't know. <laughs> I, well, Caitlin's from Fort uh, Gibson. Yeah. And I think I've just been at maybe Bixby's where Grace got married. Is that where? Possibly. Yeah. Actually, yeah. It's actually the town has really changed in the last few years. Uh, is it a five A school? I think it's six A now. You're and right. It's six A. It is Bixby, football. and it's where I was. And it's exactly what I was told. Okay. I've been there. Shout out! I probably went to your house. You, I mean, you could have. Right. My house was not someplace you'd visit where I grew up. But anyway, that town is. Yeah. It, I don't get to go back hardly ever. Is anyone um, there? What do you mean? From your family? Yeah, my mom still lives there. My mom and I uh, have a little brother and little sister that are in high school there. So It's a 6A school. That's a big school. What was your graduating class? 200, a little over 200. And now it's like, my, I think my brother will graduate with like 800 or something. So it is. Yeah, it's big. It is like quadrupled in the last few years. I guess wedding venues are there now. That It used to be, the joke was like when people come play us in football, like they're going to Hicksby. You got to drive through the cornfields and the and the trailer parks. Not joking, like the downtown area is like low income housing and trailer parks, and then you get to the high school, and so all these like city teams would come play Bixby and just they called it Hicksby. make fun of us. Yeah. So you moved to Nashville. How old? Seventeen. Yeah, that seems, that seems pretty young. Yeah, I. Did you finish I, high school? I did a year early, so I can move here and write. I wanted to learn how to write songs. I wasn't currently really doing it. But I knew that I could get here and learn from some people. So I to back up, like I played Western Swing as a kid, which is like Talk about what that is. Nineteen thirties era Dust Bowl kind of music. Uh really it, the whole genre kind of existed to lift people's spirits during like a really tough like like time. The, in in depression ish yeah. time. Yep. Yeah. Like Dust Bowl era where like n- no crops were growing, people were they could barely feed their families. Um and Bob Wills was kind of the guy that made it famous where I'm from, like Texas and Oklahoma. There's there's other pockets of Western Swing guys that were, you know, pretty popular in California. And so there's multiple cultures. But I grew up playing this stuff, not because I like loved the music, but because two Hall of Famers saw that I could sing and play. And they were like, hey, do you want to make money to play music? And I was 11. I was like, you can do that? I didn't know that was an option. You were playing at 11? My first show, my first legitimate show, was at Kane's Ballroom, in front of Asleep at the Wheel and the Oak, or in, and uh, the Texas Playboys, which was Bob Will's band, and it was sold out like two thousand people, and it was I, I didn't even realize the magnitude of it at the time. It was just like we get to go do this thing, we get like a hundred bucks and we get off the stage, and then our parents drive us home. It was super wild and far fetched. Well, well, let's back. I, I want to get to into the story though but let's go back how old were you when you started playing music and who influenced you to even know that you could get a guitar and play music um when i was a kid i remember seeing like the maybe my like earliest tv memory was um garth live in dublin 
I just remember like being enamored with this guy that could like control this sea of people across the world and they all knew his songs and he's like in this crazy shirt running from side to side on the stage so that was like my first country music memory but my mom um you know she she can sing she's probably the only i would consider the only musical person in my family so nobody was a music teacher played in a band like growing up Uh, so you really saw something and were just drawn to it yeah, I mean, my mom was really good about like helping me just try all of the activities to kind of find my thing. Uh, I I did all the sports, but I was never like a standout athlete. Um, I was pretty good at wrestling, but never, I mean, Oklahoma is like a big wrestling state. So I was, you put me in another state, I might have been pretty good, but Oklahoma, I was just right. subpar. So, Oklahoma State's got a really good program. Yeah, did no you, doubt. Did you wrestle there? No. Oh, okay. All my buddies did. All they right. They were little better than i was um thank god dude i mean i wouldn't be able to fit an in-ear monitor in my ear if i wrestled at oklahoma state you know so uh but yeah i i think just my parents kind of giving me the just like the encouragement to just keep trying to think trying new things until i found something i was that stuck you know uh and music guitar specifically i was super anti-theory like to this day can't read music really don't have an interest in it tried it seems complex but um i wanted to learn how to play songs not play scales so i finally found a teacher after quitting like 20 different teachers they would just teach me the three songs that i wanted to learn and as soon as i learned those three songs i was like all right i'm ready to go play i'm gonna go play a show and so i begged this band that used to play my mom had like a uh, uh women's clothing store in tulsa and she had parking lot parties at this thing and would hire this band. And this band was playing at the state fair. And so I begged them to let me play during their like break. And I just figured, you know what? It's the fair. Nobody stays long enough to listen to more than three songs anyway. So I played the three songs over and over and over. And while I was there, that's where I crossed paths with these Western Swing Hall of Famers that were like, hey, you should, you know, uh, give this frontman thing a try for this band. It was a nine-piece band. Ele- uh, 11 to 15 was the age range. And it was just supposed to be for that one show at Kane's Ballroom. And it ended up being like a novelty thing that nobody had seen before. So we got to play all over the country. We got to play at the Kennedy Center in D.C., open for the Oak Ridge Boys, and got stage time with Roy Clark. And, I mean, just legends. And got to learn and talk with them and just get all the advice that we could. And then uh, when I was 16... Um, I had like this chance encounter with Willie Nelson that sent me down the songwriting rabbit hole that made me move to Nashville. And, you know, it's, it's led to everything, but that was the pinnacle moment, the defining moment of like, all right, I'm going to learn how to write songs. What's the Willie encounter? Um, so I just got my driver's license. I was 16 and the band had broken up, not not because of anything else other than I was the youngest in the band and everybody was going to college. So everybody's going different directions. It's like, this isn't going to work. And, um, essentially I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to go back to wrestling and playing sports and being a normal kid. Cause five years into a band, even though we didn't really get all that far, I knew how hard it was to get any momentum going. I was like, that seemed like a lot of work. I'm probably, probably out on that. And then um, my grandfather and my uncle 
were coming to town from Broken Bow, which is where they live, southeast Oklahoma. They were coming to town for the Willie concert because my grandpa's like the biggest Willie Nelson fan. And they've got tickets and they stop by the house and they're like, man, you should really, you know, like you should really go see Willie. He's in his late 70s at this point, I think. Um, and maybe early 80s. But anyways, he they were like, you never know how long this guy's going to be touring. Right. You should go. I was like, well, I don't really have the money. I'm 16. Every dollar I have goes to gas. And they were like, well, just show up at the, the show. And after it starts, you know, you can pick up a cheap ticket. So that's what I did. I drove down to, he's playing at the Spirit Bank Event Center, which I don't even think exists anymore. And I bought a cheap ticket after the concert started from somebody that was scalping tickets. And I walked in and the context of this is like up to this point in my life, every concert I ever went to, I was like tortured by the thought of like that should be me i should be up there and i think because of that i was always thinking what would i do if that happened like would i be prepared for that moment and this night just felt like different i've always had that thought but never you know never wound up on a stage and um this particular night i was like man something feels like that could happen i don't know what it is about tonight but i went to the concession stand and like asked this sweet old lady that was working there. I was like, can you find me some cardboard and a marker? And we made it happen. I wrote a sign. It said, uh, it's my dream to play a song with you. And I'm up in the no nosebleeds. Way. No, not kidding you. Wrote this sign out. I'm in the nosebleeds. The story gets better. I haven't really been able to tell the full story. So I'm we got in, all the room me. and okay. time. Go ahead. So the full story is the, the short story is I end up, close enough to hold the sign up and Willie sees it. The long story is my uncle calls me and is like, Hey, did you get a ticket? And I'm like, yeah, I'm up in the nosebleeds. Like Willie Nelson is an ant. I can't see him, but I can hear him. And he's like, okay, well you have to have like this wristband to get down on the floor, but, um, I'll, I'll swap seats with you. I can't give you my wristband, but if you walk down here, he's like, honestly, your grandpa's hammered and I need a break. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, done. You know, like, if you know anything about my grandpa, Maker's Mark and Willie Nelson, like that's (laughs) the dream team. Okay. So he's feeling pretty good. Like at this point, I think he's like eyes closed, just listening, you know, vibing to Willie. And so I, I walk down there and I just walk past security, like fast enough that they don't ask for a wristband, go sit down there with my sign. And they're like third row. Like their seats were good because this was like a, I think a birthday present or something for my grandpa. And uh, I just sitting there and he's vibing out and I'm like, I'm going to hold this sign up. So I hold the sign up and Willie leans over, takes the bandana off his head, throws it at me like pretty much saying, hey, I see you, but put the sign down. So I took the bandana and I put it in my pocket and then I held the sign back up. And he comes over there again and throws me another bandana like, for real, dude, you got to put the sign down. Thanks for coming. And I took the bandana and I can feel the tension behind me at this point. You know, I'm blocking very expensive seats with this sign. And so I turn around to the guy behind me. and I'm like, I'm sorry, dude. I got to do this. I hold the sign back up again. And then Willie finally leans over and he's like, all right, kid, what do you want to sing? And I was like, 
because of that moment that I always had in all these shows that I was like tormented by of like, that should be me. What would I do? I was like, instantly, I was like, Milk Cow Blues. And he was like, why does this kid know a 1930s Dust Bowl Western swing song? And it's honestly, because I knew nobody at that concert wanted to see Corey sing Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain. They wanted to see Willie sing that. And that's not a realistic expectation to have. So I was like, I'm going to play a song that I know that Willie knows, that I've seen him cover before, that he loves, that's not his. And the band's going to know because it's a standard. And so he goes, well, get up here. And dude, the next, you know, 10 minutes is a complete blur. Um, I ended up walking past security. The song's already started. Like the band started the song and I'm like running up trying to get to the mic in time. And uh, I walk up to the mic and he goes, what's your name? I was like, Corey. And he goes, this is Corey, everybody. And the crowd's like, ah. Like the first thought crosses my mind is like nobody is gonna believe this like my uncle is on his way to the nosebleed like not paying attention (laughs) my grandpa has had a lot of makers and he's kind of a storyteller anyway so i'm like nobody's gonna believe him and nobody my age nobody from high school is at this willie nelson show like and this is before everybody has iphones i'm like nobody's gonna believe this and so I walk up to the mic and Willie looks over at me and he's like standing really close to the mic. Just, I think if I, if I'm reading it properly, like if this kid just completely freezes up, I have to take over. So he's right by his mic and I walk up and I start singing the first few words and he's like, I'll never forget this moment, dude. He just gives me the biggest ear to ear grin and backs off the mic and nods and just like, just plays just plays and lets me sing the whole song. And at one point, you know, I, God, I'm re- I really don't feel that old, but I definitely am going to like date myself with Gen Z right now of, I've definitely took out a flip phone and tried to take a picture because I was like, nobody's going to believe this. And I was shaking so bad that the picture, you can't even tell who's in the picture. <laughs> and, I walked, that was in the like solo section instrumental. I walked back to the, up to the mic, finished the, finished the song. And Lucas Nelson was his guitar player on that tour. So I got to meet Lucas, got to meet Mickey, got to, you know, talk with Willie for a second. It was magical. Um, and I just remember walking off stage going, okay, like if I needed a sign, this was it. Like I'm writing songs, I'm getting back into music. And, um, probably the wildest moment about this whole thing is that when I make my way back to my seat, uh, I sit down in my uncle's seat, really. I sit down and the guy behind me taps me on the shoulders and I'm like, oh God, this guy's going to lay into me. And he goes, hey, if you don't hold the sign up again, I'll send you the video that I just took. Oh, come on. And I was like, oh my God, no freaking way. (laughs) And so he's like the only dude in the whole crowd that got footage of this. And it's the only video that exists. It's on YouTube. Uh, and it's super blurry because I think it was like a handheld camera or something, like a cam. It was not an iPhone. Um, but it was that was such a cool, like, full circle moment of, you know, the guy that I totally have been pissing off for the last hour. That is a crazy story. And here's a clip from that performance back in the day. Yeah. 
we interrupt this interview to bring you a message from our sponsor. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacovas is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comfort, little to no break-in period. Like it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Tecovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back on the Bobbycast. And then so I graduated a year early from, from high school because I wanted to go to Nashville. And so Pur- I moved. Purposefully? Did you cram hours yep. so you could leave? I took uh, dual credit at the local college. So it was knocking out my high school stuff, but it was also kind of 
given me a jump start at college, but that was because I was going to take a whole year to go do the songwriting thing. So my senior year of high school was spent crashing in my truck and sleeping on friends' couches in Nashville. I was going to ask, if you're 17 and you move here, I mean, you're not even an adult, so when your parents are like, two thumbs up, go ahead, hit it. Yeah, pretty much. Did they push back at all? Did your mom push back at all? Not really, man. You know, they. I think they had been exposed to the world, the music world, because, I mean, they'd been... Honestly, it was probably more like, thank God you have keys because we've been driving your butt to all these shows for the last six years. Never again will I take you to a show. Here's your keys. Like, I was already making trips at 16 to Atlanta, Georgia um, to play at Eddie's Attic because that was the only spot outside of Oklahoma that would give me a chance to play anywhere. There was a guy named Andy Hingley there who's now like the Live Nation guy in the Southeast. He runs everything down there. But at the time, he was booking Eddie's Attic, and he's he chance encounter, saw me play somewhere, and was like, hey, you're in Oklahoma, but I'll give you 100 bucks and I'll put you on sold-out shows, on the front of sold-out shows, and you can come play, and you can stay on my couch. So I was already back and forth to Atlanta every chance I got. So they knew that I could drive there safely and back, but, yeah, I think they just, they knew... They could probably try to stop me, but it wasn't going to work. You what, know? What'd you do when you got here? Because I mean, did you have a <clears throat> system of friends at all that also wrote? And no, I knew, I knew one person. Um, actually, I knew I knew nobody that lived in Nashville. I knew the Halseys, which Jim and Sherman Halsey, who managed the Oak Ridge Boys and uh, Roy Clark, and a lot of the acts that we got to open for. I had met them through that. And they brought me out here one time and introduced me um, to one person, really, that helped me make my connections. And he probably, like, if you were to ask him about this, he probably doesn't remember this. But his name is Daniel Lee, and I have no idea where he is now. I know he's still in the music industry. But he was at a place called 1010 Publishing at the time. And they brought me in, they introduced me to um, Daniel, and he was like, well, what do you want to do? I was a 16-year-old kid. I knew nothing about the music industry outside of just how to play a show. And he, I was like, well, I want to learn how to write songs. And he goes, okay, I run a full-on publishing company. I need to put my guys with guys that are good at writing songs. Otherwise, it's a waste of their time. But here's a list. I'm going to print you off a list of 10 writers that don't have publishing deals that I think are good. And here's their info. And he gave me a print off and a cell phone numbers of 10 writers that he thought were good. And I cold called every one of them and was like, I'm this new dude from Oklahoma. I've written three songs, but Daniel says you're good and I'd love to write a song. And uh, a couple of those guys, like, songs have made my records or they're, you know, like Josh Matheny was on that list. And, and he's, uh, you know, he's like a crazy talented ACM of the year nominee for... I don't know, instrumentalist, I think, anyways. I don't know <laughs> what he is, but he's a great, great musician, great songwriter. Josh Dore was on that list, and from there, I just kind of made friends, and then their friends became my friends, and uh, I've crashed on all those guys' couches, and Josh Dore's roommate was Jordan Davis at the time, so I'm like over at Josh's house, and then I met Jordan Davis, and then I was like, do you want to write? And he was like, sure. So then we wrote a few songs, and then that was like the first time I saw what a guy from, you know, Louisiana. the early days yeah. that like 
blew up. I was like, oh my gosh, that's the same guy, you know? And we're friends now, but just cold called people. And one write turned into five. And by the end of the year, I was writing like every day and working my way up. You don't live here? No. I was just in Frisco for ACMs. That's where you live? That's where I live. I like Frisco. It's a good spot, you know? Yeah, why Frisco? Um, so in 2019, I got dropped from my pub deal in Nashville and my wife and I were living here. We had our first baby and we were just kind of like, you know what? The only thing that was keeping us here is gone. And we want to, we had our first little little girl and we had another on the way. We we're like, we want to raise our kids around family if we can. And there's nothing holding us back from doing that now. So we decided on DFW area and, uh, moved back and, just kind of prioritized our family. And uh, I was like, man, at the time, like the year spent in Nashville, I had nothing to show for it. Like I didn't have any big cuts. I didn't, I was kind of waiting for the magic song to like change my life and it just never happened. So I was like, man, you know what? At least back where we're from, you can just go build it the old school way. You just go play the honky tonks and get a van and a trailer and you go do the thing. So I was like, that seems more suited for my skill set than anything else so let's you know move out there work twice as hard at, at music and um she's just kind of from that area so that's why we we chose that area and it's just a couple hours away from my folks up in oklahoma so it just seemed like a, a good happy medium and then we basically everybody in nashville is like hey that's a horrible idea if you want a music career probably shouldn't leave music city and we were like yeah but it's not working here. We'll just work twice as hard on the road from Texas and, you know, let God figure out the rest. And so we moved. And then right about that time is the time the whole world shut down. So it was a horrible time to move and be out of work with two kids. And Music's not a thing. So, Have you found yourself, I guess maybe maybe you're not having to do that. Because you have, I mean, you're all on a record label. But how did that come about? Because you're on a big record label. Yeah. Um it's a long and winding road to right here uh the thirty thousand foot view is when i got to texas the world shut down and i had to figure out something else because couldn't you know pay the bills have a wife and two kids and now i think at this at this point i got a third on the way and um it was like file for unemployment or learn how to do something new those were the two options and so i went to work for a pavement company in dallas texas and um, didn't really think much of it. It wasn't like, uh, now I'm not a musician. It was like, there are no musicians right now. Right. It's not a, not a thing. You can't go play live music. So I just put my head down, went to work and, um, I started playing at this Mexican restaurant right down the road from our house. Cause it was the only place that I knew of that would allow live music. So I was just doing it cause it, I had to like for my soul. And, um, just kind of keeping the rust off that way. And I think I was so motivated by the time that, you know, luckily I lived in Texas. Texas was kind of like the first place to go, all right, we're going back to normal. We're going to try this. And so honky tonks and local bars and stuff started opening up one by one and doing like seated shows. And I start, I got my first opportunity at a real show to go open for Flatland Calvary in like January of 21. And, I just remember thinking, okay, the world just gave us like a caution lap in NASCAR. Like 
I'm I'm not even a NASCAR fan. This is the best analogy I can think of. I do love NASCAR, but I'm not like a diehard. But I know what a caution lap is. You know what a caution lap is? I do, and I don't follow NASCAR at all. But okay. I, but I, I get the analogy. Okay, so I feel like the whole world, like there was a crazy wreck, and everybody slowed down mm-hmm. to the same pace. And then this pace car is out there. And then eventually that pace car leaves the track, and it's like, may the best man win. Like the playing fields are kind of even again, right? The people that had these big leads, they had to start from ground zero again too, seemingly. And I just remember going, I'm going to take full advantage of the caution lap. Like, I will not be out-hustled from this moment on. And Texas gave me the ability to start building again. Like, I started playing as much as I could, and eventually my shows outweighed. I was, I was having to take off work at the pavement company to go play shows, and that was kind of the tipping point. While I'm still working at the pavement company, I recorded Wild as Her. I was just taking every opportunity I could to keep building back because I wanted to get back to music so badly. And it was such a far-fetched thing um, that every every opportunity I got, I took for a whole year, lost so much money, you know, just paying the band and playing $150 opening slots for a whole year, played 105 shows that year. And in January of 21, we got one show. So we played the first two or three months, we got maybe... 10 shows total so the last nine months of the year we played 90 plus shows and just hustled and it built into this thing and wild as her started growing and um it just uh i might have my timeline off on that we had recorded it but we hadn't released it but our our live show started growing then by the time we released wild as her we were like i don't know eight singles in of consistently releasing music like every six to eight weeks and it just popped like a couple weeks into being out. My manager called me and was like, hey, you're like, having like a moment. Streams, yes. Like, yeah. You're having a moment. And I was like, how? And he said, you're not a video, like you, not a video or, or something on your socials, but the song itself has just gone viral. Like everybody's making videos to it. It's a thing. And I was like, oh my gosh. And then he showed me the streaming numbers and it was like, 10 times bigger than everything we'd done. And then we just kept building it on the road. And, you know, that's what we do. That's we're live musicians. So I think the culmination of like, we essentially were a live act, like a, an old school build it on the road act that had a viral moment, which doesn't really happen. Usually it's like you got viral moments from viral acts. And you didn't even know you had a viral moment until someone called to tell you you had a viral moment. Yes. Yeah. It was, it was hard to believe. And, uh, and then we started seeing, you know, everybody knowing every word to the song at all of these shows that we were playing. Could you notice more people coming to shows just organically or was it, was there a growth, but you just thought, Hey, we're moving, we're gathering fans because we're pretty good now. Yeah. It felt more like that. It wasn't an overnight, like, Oh shoot, this is where we've arrived. It wasn't that. Um, it was actually kind of a, like when we put the song out, there wasn't much of an initial reaction. It was like a few months into the song being out that it just took off. And then we started to see, you know, ticket numbers are starting to move. And, but what was cool about that moment is we already had two records out. So it was like, who's this new guy? Oh, we have 20 something songs we can go dive into. So then the live shows, people were showing up for one song, but they also knew 
seven other songs from a band that's brand new. So it just grew really quick. It wasn't like people were standing around waiting on one song, which happens a lot with new acts that have their first thing. For us, it was like people are singing along with us like a majority of the set and then they we get to the last song and they're just losing their minds and everybody's posting about it and now people got FOMO. So the next town we roll into, it starts to sell quick and just a big snowball at that point. Can you trace back what actually happened with that song? Like, do you know the first person who posted it in a big video? Do you know? Because there's always some sort of genesis, some, again, yeah, lucky moment where somebody likes it and shares it somewhere. And then before you know it, other people go, that is a good song. Can you trace it back? So I know that we were, like, I went to school for business. Like, I run, and I, I enjoy that side of the music business. And like I had, I owned a merchandising company. So when we were at the shows, like my company's printing the t-shirts and we're, so we're looking at everything like a, like a business, right? And so we've tried a bunch of different marketing plans at this point. And it, I, we didn't have a booking agent playing, you know, a hundred plus shows a year. We did just get a manager who was really helping me, who was like the mastermind behind all the social media stuff. And he was like, well, you know, how do you feel about TikTok and all this stuff? And I was like, man, if I could just play music, that's what I would do. And I know a lot of artists feel that way. And um, he's like, okay, so we have to find a way to use this that's authentic to you. And I was like, well, um, what if we have other people who are naturally like really good at this promote our song for us instead of me trying to promote our song? And so we started down that road and he, every release of those eight, 10 songs, whatever, leading up to Wild Is Her, we were constantly just tweaking the knobs on social media. Like we started hiring, uh, I call it like guerrilla warfare of social media. We started hiring like individuals, I think probably before that was popular. Like we were singing it in other spaces, but not necessarily in country music. Like, um, you know, people were hiring bloggers for their clothing lines, but nobody was like, hey, social media guy, you know, sing this do something to this song. And so we started there of like, let's get this guy that seems like they have some fan overlap. Their fans probably like country music. Let's try them. Well, initially it started out like, let's try to give them an idea to do something on their video. And that backfired. It was like, when we would try to create something that we thought would work, it wouldn't work. But then when we, by Wild as Her, we were like, hey, we're going to hire you. To, we're going to throw you a little money and we want you to do whatever you want with the song. And that was like the magic recipe. Like they were doing stuff that was on brand for them and their, mm-hmm. and their following. And it wasn't me doing a TikTok dance that I sucked at and it that like feeling like way out of my realm. I never had to do any of that. I never had to like be a look at me personality. It was like, let's let the people that are naturally like that do their thing and let's let them use the song. And we hired a handful of people, but what was, I think the domino that fell was that people felt the freedom to do whatever they wanted. And it made other people want to do whatever they wanted. And it just became the sound to all of these different videos that had really no theme. It was just like a sound that became a trend, which was cool. Cause like for us, again, we're just a live band rolling around in a red van that we call Rooster play in Oklahoma and Texas and now our song is like one of the most viral songs on the internet um 
And when people were like, I wonder who that guy is, they got two records to go find. Right. So it was kind of this perfect storm of events, but I don't really know if there was one person in particular as much as it was just like a, a theme of people are using the song and making whatever they want that's authentic to them, which is like the culmination of everything for us is like authenticity. If you don't believe it, then you're not going to share it. Let's take a quick pause for a message from our sponsor. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacovas is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comfort, little to no break-in period. Like it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Tecovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts. 
Welcome back to the Bobbycast. The record you have coming out June 2nd, Blacktop, is that because that's what you did whenever you had to do something for a minute other than what you love to do? Yeah. I mean, that was almost a, almost a two-year stint. I worked at a motorcycle shop for a little bit and then went to the pavement company. Uh, and this is... Blacktop is really like a way of me paying tribute to like the industry and the people that gave me a chance to put food on the table for my wife and three kids during the absolute hardest time of my life. Um, that's, that's one reason that it's called Blacktop. But also, I started recording this while I was still working in the pavement company and it's what got me back on the road full time. So between those two things, it just felt like Blacktop was the right name of the journey. There's nothing in the songs that that has the lyric Blacktop in it, but it just felt like if I had to to name this chapter of my life, that's what it would be. I was looking at the track list, and you wrote most of the songs on here, but Wild as Her, uh, Kelly Archer, Brett Tyler, Morgan Wallen all wrote that song. How did that get to you th- those years ago? Yeah. Well, fortunately... Um, Right before I moved to Texas, I had gotten dropped, right, on my pub deal. And on my way out, essentially, I had one publishing company reach out to me that had interest. And we ended up working out a deal. And they know this now, but I was so scared to tell them I was moving to Texas that I, that I was so afraid that they wouldn't work with me. They wouldn't sign the deal that I just didn't tell them. And so for a, a whole year... Every Monday I would fly in and every Wednesday I would fly out. Wow. And I would tell them, hey, you know, I've got a family at home Thursday and Friday. I need to not ride. I'm probably not going to be available. And they would call me and I'd be like freaking out. I'd be like, oh, God. If I answer this and they ask me where I'm at and if I can come in, I'm done. They're going to know. Well, turns out they probably, they probably wouldn't have cared, but it's hard to know hindsight. They all know now. We all laugh about it. But before I went to work for the pavement company, before we knew that the world shutting down was going to be a thing for a while, that's what I was doing, like flying in and out, riding as much as I could. And um, and Combustion is the name of the publishing company and Wild as Her was a combustion song. So I learned because my friend Brett Tyler wrote this song and um, Brett writes at Combustion. I was the new guy at Combustion uh, and they just felt like my brand and what I did live matched up perfectly with this song and that we, you know, if, I don't know if you've heard the demo, but Morgan obviously is like one of the best singers in the format, if not the best. And I don't know. I think a lot of people just heard that and were like, Oh, sounds like a Morgan song. I'm not going to do it. And I heard an opportunity to do it in the style of our band. Like we had a live thing. And so we took a stab at it in the studio and, and it uh it came out pretty special and and sounding on brand with what we did and sounding like our song and uh yeah people have people have liked it it's done pretty well for us the bobby cast will be right back this festival and concert season will be all about the boots and Tacovas is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comfort, little to no break-in period. Like it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. 
Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Tecovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Bobbycast. Do you feel the need to move back to Nashville? We thought about it. Need? No, I don't. I mean, I'm on the road most of the time anyways. And I have a lot of old friends here, and I've started to bring people out to Texas to write, and I've been writing a lot of my best stuff outside of Nashville anyways. And this it, it's always here. Like, we have a piece of land in Fairview that we're, we bought in 2017 that's like, if we ever need to go back, that's where we're going to go. But um, right now, it, it makes more sense. I, all of our band and crews from Oklahoma, so they all live there, uh, except me and Bo, our tour manager, live in Dallas. And it's just kind of like a, a family thing that it just would feel weird to you know do this with a different family at this point so i think we're 
we're in Texas for the foreseeable future and that's where we want to raise our kids. And maybe when they get a little older, if it bought us more time together, you know, if I could like go to the studio and then come home at five o'clock and see my family, I think that we would really look at that. But right now I'm just on the road so much that it, I don't think it would buy us much more time together. So we're, we're in Texas for now. What'd you do to celebrate when the song hit number one after all that? I mean, that's a lot. It, you know, it's not, it's, it's a lot for anybody, right? This is a business. Yeah. Anything creative, it doesn't matter what it is because everybody wants to do it because it looks fun. It really, a lot of this not, and it's very hard. That being said, a lot of people go through crap. You went through a lot of crap. Then you hit. What'd you do? Um, well, the first thing we did was we asked the venue. We were playing in Lubbock. So we were like, it's past the point of getting, you know, to the liquor store to buy some champagne. And it was looking like it was shaping up pretty good. And uh, so we asked the venue if they could track us down a bottle of champagne. They did. And I did not feel comfortable, even with a lead. I mean, Morgan Wallen's in the two spot. Like, that's the artist of a generation, man. Uh, one of the best to ever do it. I'm not comfortable until midnight, and it's 100%. So I think my team was more, they were like, hey, congratulations. I'm like, don't don't say that till midnight. Like, it's not, <laughs> I'm not comfortable letting my guard down. And midnight hit, and, uh, you know, we are, we're still in our van. We get to go to a bus soon, but we were uh, playing in Lubbock and, and right by our van. And I jumped up on top of the van and, you know, opened the bottle of champagne. And we got to have this moment as, as a group that it's the same guys from the moment that we recorded the song to the time that it had a moment to the time that it went number one. It's been the same band and the same crew. And we just got to like, I know these guys' wives. I know their kids. I know like, it's a family and it felt like a huge family win. And it was like super fitting that I got to be there with them. These people that have been on this journey from, you know, that flatland cavalry show that we opened up at hurricane Harry's where everybody was seated and socially distanced. And I, I remember giving the pep top of like, we are going to, we will never be out hustled from this point on. Like we have to build this thing and to be there and to be standing there, Right next, like not next to a tour bus, next to our van and be like, we have the number one song in country music. It was such a powerful moment because it was like against all odds. Like the dude based out of Texas working at the pavement company has the number one song in country. I mean. And the length of the song and the amount of time it took to get there too. Yeah. Because, you know, from March of 2022, I believe, I'm guessing. I'm, uh, I'm not guessing. I'm educatedly guessing. Right? Was it like March or so? Yeah. You came out a single? To, what are we in now? May of yeah. 2023? Most times a song is given up on, or given up on is not the word. You're, you celebrate that it made 13 because yeah. you're not going to put another seven weeks into it. Right. That also yeah. is well, something that's not common. You know what was really cool about it is we, we uh, which at the time wasn't cool because I didn't really know Parker McCollum all that well at the time. And he put out a song same like put a song to radio the same day as wild as her and i'm going oh. like he got most added he got all the things that i was hoping to get uh and now we're really good friends like we've played a lot of shows together I've, uh, he's like big brother and we paced with him the whole way and i think that is a huge reason why they were like oh this thing's doing well right like 
Parker's going for his third number one, and he just got it uh, the week before us. And we just followed a guy that had a track record and a big fan base and was established. Our song was pacing with his. So I think that that, that helped us kind of, you know, if, if ever there was a moment of like, oh, do we keep going? I think that that was enough to go, well, Parker's crushing it. And we're right there. Like, let's hang on. And the amount of time was like the song – the song had been out for a little bit, but it hadn't been at radio super long either. So it's, it's kind of had two lives. Like we released it independently uh, and it went gold before any record deal was done. Uh, and then we signed with Sony RCA and they did their, I mean, they are some of the hardest workers. I never anticipated signing a major label deal and finding people that worked equally as hard as I did. And I've found that like there are killers in this organization and they went to work and they doubled how big the song was. And now it's, you know, they worked at radio and it was a hard fought battle to get to that one spot. And, um, I'm just super proud that we, I was telling them, look, even, even if we get to number two and that's where it dies, the fact that how it was done, like fans demanded it to go to radio really, because it was, it was consuming huge and people were screaming it on the other side of the world. We played in Australia and people are screaming this song to the point that we just let them sing it. Like it was amazing. The song has already done what it needed to do. I just wanted to know that the team that I had signed with was going to fight as hard as I was going to fight. And I saw that. And then I was like, you know what, wherever, it, wherever it ends up is where it ends up. And thankfully I like winning a lot more than, not winning right. and getting to one is just super gratifying but i was really pleased with how just everybody's work ethic do you have the next single have you announced it yet do you know it is it a secret <clears throat> it's not a secret i mean i think we're just we've got gut feelings but you know the record comes out june 2nd and we our most recent single is definitely our top performing release that we've ever had which is called something's gonna kill me and uh I think it's. I would love for that one to go to radio. What do they um, wait on? Like, what, what what are you waiting on for that to be official? Are they going to let it all come out and look at consumption? I think that's part of it. I mean, I think that these days um, it's a little more calculated what you take to radio. It seems again. I know not like I am learning on the fly. I know nothing about the radio world. Like this is our first stab at radio, and it worked out really well. But that doesn't mean I know much about it. Um, that's how it works for everybody though. Okay, great. It goes really well first time. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's easy as fr- yeah. from what I hear. So no, but I, I think that's part of it is like, they want to see how it, how the, the fans like the song. Um, but I think the other part of it was like, we just had time because while the service still on the charts, it's not like we're going to throw another one at it. So now we're kind of in crunch time to figure out what are we going to do next? And, um, it it seems like something's gonna kill me. Makes makes sense. Sure, it's doing well. It's on XM right now. It's performing well. It's streaming really well. Fans are singing it back to us live. Like it's got all the indicators. But also this record, I just I could not pick one. If I had to pick one, I don't. I, we have a lot of radio worthy songs on the back half of this record that hasn't come out yet. Um, and as a new artist, I think you only. It's not like I can go have eight singles off of the first record with 10 songs on it. You know what I mean? Right. So we do need to be careful on how we, how we pick, but I don't, 
I would be lying to you if I said I, I could predict what people are going to like. Last question. Does your rate go up now, your guarantee, now that you have a number one? God, I hope so. I mean, I mean is that a... Because <laughs> for me, mine would go up once I would sell comedy shows and do like, you know, 1500 You do that consistently. My, I never had a chart. Mine was always, yeah. my rate would go up or my guarantee would go up once I had been able to sustain ticket success. Mm. Has... Now that you have a number one, that I mean, that should be like an automatic. Let's let's turn it up a little bit. I I mean I, I would hope so. Um, but like you, I mean we we've been building tickets like that's what hard tickets, which are the hardest thing to do, and also the most valuable. Yep. So you know we can sell a few thousand tickets in Oklahoma and Texas and uh, and elsewhere too. I mean our our ticket sales have have been really solid and always on the upward trajectory, and now it's to the point where it's like. You know, you we we're going on tour with Jason Aldean, and like the exposure was a no-brainer. But it was like, man, well, shoot, headlining shows like we can go make a great living doing that. Should we? Should we? You'll take? make less money. I'll say it. You'll make less money yeah. opening for Aldean than you would have doing your own shows. Yes, but but there's currency also on exposure on a big, massive show. It's like investment seasons, and then like absolutely reap the reward seasons and you got to find a way to balance them and i never want to be the guy that is just like stuck as an opening act so you gotta you gotta pick and choose when you accept those things but this was we actually had turned down a tour prior um that was great exposure same same pay uh it just didn't align with the brand as well and so we were like you know what in this particular situation we feel like it's more valuable for our brand to go back to the clubs and just build our headline stuff and then the Aldine tour came along and it was like, this feels pretty on brand with, with what we've got going. And I feel like this is an accelerator. It's a, it became an investment season. Right. And so, um, I always, I mean, I, I would guess that it's almost always based off of tickets. Like doesn't matter if you have 10 number ones, if you can't sell 300 I don't tickets know, though, man, you think, <laughs> first of all, if you sell hard tickets already, that's, I mean, that's the key. So it's almost like, you don't need a number one because there are artists that tour that don't have number one songs. Right. That's guaranteed is massive <laughs> because they can sell tickets, right? True. Hard tickets are the hardest thing. to. If you have that data, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. So, yeah, your rate is probably already defined by tickets, and that's awesome because you've yeah. created that. Well, look, dude, that's awesome. Congratulations on everything. Thank you, brother. That's, have you met Willie since? No, I'm still – I'm hoping for the day, man, uh, just to – just to be able to say thank you. Like, I don't He's not going to, I doubt he would even remember that. That's probably happened a million times to him. But to me, it happened once. And it changed the course of my life. Like, it was the thing that got me to go try my hand at writing songs. And yeah, hopefully someday I can, I can cross paths with him, just shake his hand and tell him thank you. Mine was the Wiggles when they called me up. Remember that, Mike? <laughs> I do remember that. You were so excited. I knew ever since. Oh, my Ever gosh. since, I was like, this is for me. This is this it. This is for me. That's awesome. Uh, congratulations, man. And have Thank s- you. I know you're heading home, but have saved your poem. And looking forward to seeing you again. Dude, heck yeah. All right. Well, there he is. Thank you. Corey Kent. Love this episode of The Bobby Cast? Subscribe on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound... Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.